0: as usual, we, we wait a we wait a moment or two here to let people come into the room with us here. Oh my gosh, we have got a treat for you tonight with the guest we have. Um, this is a big one we've got tonight. Uh, we're going to get to Gabe in just a moment, but um, just a couple thoughts I have. Um, you know, um, I I can't do I can't do most of the things that that we do on this farm without the support of the people that are around us and you're only as good as the people that you surround yourself with and i have a a massive amount of good people around me uh, uh my beautiful wife carol uh, i've got uh, my beautiful daughter rachel her husband eric um nephew aaron uh andy gobel all these people are intricate to uh the success of our operation and uh whenever whenever an operation gets uh to a point to where one person thinks they have the control that's that's when things start going sideways and and we've got a guest here this evening that i'm sure will exactly concur with every word i've just said and he's done the same thing on his operation so um we're going to get uh we're going to go deep here with gabe um this is going to be this is going to be a great, uh, a great podcast this evening. So and and I wonder, want everyone to know that uh, that Rachel had some minor surgery today. Everything came out fine. But folks, she's only been home for three hours from the hospital. And she said, nope, dad, I'm doing the podcast with you tonight. So, Rachel, thank you very much. I, I greatly appreciate everything. All right. All right. Giddy up. Let's go. We've got Gabe Brown with us tonight. Gabe, how you doing this evening? I'm great. It's a real pleasure to be with you this evening, Rick. Yeah, this is gonna be a blast. Uh, I'm, I'm, you know, it's gonna do the same thing Gabe I do with everyone else. Um, what what's on what's on Gabe Brown's mind right now?
1: Oh, great question. And uh, as I was uh, as I was dialing up onto this Zoom meeting, the thing I was thinking about was actually a something that Doug Peterson and many of the listeners will know Doug Peterson well yep. said today on a on a Zoom meeting that I was on him with. He talked about how we have the majority of us have think about regenerative agriculture in the wrong way. He said NRCS phrased it and brought it out as a conservation practice. And Doug said, that's all wrong. It's not a conservation practice. It's a necessary production practice. And we need to think of regenerative agriculture that way. And I was thinking about that. Boy, how true that is. We have to change the way we see things and think of it as something that's necessary for us to do on our farms and ranches.
0: Yeah. Well, that's awesome. That's a great way to kick this podcast off. So, and, and I want to lay out uh, some ground rules here to the audience for just a moment here, Gabe, uh, folks, we're going to try this again. If you would like to uh, actually talk to Gabe and ask him a question, please raise your hand. Rachel can then, cause once you hit that, raise your hand button, it moves you to the top of her slide deck and then she can find you quickly. Uh, unmute you, and then you can uh, you can ask Gabe. But remember the rules here; uh, it's all professional. And uh, if anybody gets going too sideways or too far that we don't want to go, we're gonna we're gonna stop it. So uh, hopefully, let's uh, let's have a great great evening here with Gabe. Um, Gabe, let's go back. Uh, let's go back to the beginning. Um, you've been a farmer a long time, but uh, it wasn't always easy, was it? <laughs>
1: Well, I've attempted to farm for a long time. <laughs> you know, I I tell people I'm a I'm a poor cattleman, even worse farmer, but I try. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Started started farming right out of college in the in the mid eighties and uh what yeah, a tough time. Yeah, it was you know, I'm fortunate I learned from my father in law. He taught me, you know, the best practices he knew at the time, and and that's how I learned and And then uh, the rest is kind of history. Four years of hail and drought kind of sent me on a different path. And one boy, am I glad I got sent on that path. (laughs)
0: Yeah. Isn't it amazing how mother nature uh, or, you know, slash God will will guide you in the direction that that you were meant to be taken to?
1: Yeah, that's absolutely right. I tell people I, I firmly believe that God looked down and saw about the simplest farmer he could find and, Said you know, it, it, I'm gonna I'm gonna this guy I blessed him with a big mouth so I'm going to <laughs> show him principles of regenerative agriculture and how to work in synchrony with nature and I, I firmly believe that yeah. uh, this is my calling. Yeah, this is what I was meant to do and it's a it's a true joy to get up every morning and do something you love and to visit with people who have that same passion the passion to care for the creation Mm
0: -hmm. well you you nailed it on the head right there i mean uh, you know i i say often in in presentations if you don't enjoy what you're doing go 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 do something else i mean life's too short and and i'm with you Gabe. i wake up every day ready to conquer the day you know what are we going to do today Yep. and uh that's how you have to be you have to constantly be
1: challenging yourself challenging yourself and you have to be a lifelong learner you know one of the real joys i have about regenerative agriculture is that i get to learn new things every day and i'm an old goat but i can still learn and that's a lot of fun it yeah. makes it fun and interesting and and it really brings life back into what we're doing
0: yeah well, let's go back just a little bit further because, I mean, you, you glazed over pretty quick there, but you had, was it two years in a row of, of of zero income or almost zero income or was it three years?
1: Yeah, it was actually, well, of crop income, we had uh, two years of hail followed by a year of drought. And when I say hail, they were 100%. There was no crop to be harvested. And then a, a year of drought, nobody combined an acre. And then the fourth year... It was a late June hailstorm that took about 80% of our crop. Now oh we still God. had some livestock. We still had some beef cattle, so I was able to generate enough money to keep the banker at bay. <laughs> yeah. That's hard to do sometimes. Yeah. So so
0: then what you know, where did this this regenerative idea where 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 did this come from? Where where did you I mean you've been doing it for a while, but where did this happen when did it happen?
1: Yeah. and Hey, Rick, I make no mistake about it. I had no no idea what the regenerative meant. I hardly knew what a cover crop meant. You know, they didn't teach me that in four years of a land grant institution education. I was simply trying to stay alive. I was simply trying to support my family, make my payments. But what happened was I'd already started no-tilling. We started no-tilling the year before 1994, I had a very good crop and I thought, boy, this is easy. 1995 came along the day before I was going to start combining 2000 acres, excuse me, 1200 acres of spring wheat. We had about 2000 acres of total cropland that year. Uh, we lost 100% to hailstorm and that was pretty devastating. And I had no hail insurance. It just rarely hailed on our farm. So we just didn't think of hail insurance as a good buy. And so the next year, though, the spring of uh, 96, I had to think, okay, I can't put quite so many eggs in one basket. I'm going to plant some peas and, you know, a little more barley acres, try to diversify the rotation a little bit. And so I actually did get uh, a little bit of the peas combine before that hailstorm in 96. So I'm starting to diversify uh that fall though after that second hailstorm i'm like man i need to do something else so i got a hold of some rye and some hairy vetch seed drove to northern minnesota i'd read a little bit about hairy vetch seeded some of those fall biennials. so i was starting to to diversify even more uh the next spring in a very dry year it was a real drought in central north dakota I did seed some land back to alfalfa, and we got enough moisture early on to get it started, so I'm trying to diversify and I also noticed that spring when I was seeding I started to see earthworms show up in my field and I'd never seen an earthworm yeah. except in the garden on our ranch, you know I, we just didn't have them because of all the tillage my father-in- law did so I was starting to see things happen and starting to take notice of it Well, dried out that year nineteen ninety eight came along and The hailstorm occurred in in late June, and it was early enough that 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 hailstorm brought significant rain with it. I scrounged together enough money to buy a few bags of sorghum sedan seed and some cowpea seed, and I, I planted that simply for forage for my livestock. But then the true fact is I really didn't have the money to buy twine. Uh, that year. So what I did is uh, we just winter grazed that sorghum sedan and cowpea. So I was integrating livestock. And in no way am I taking credit for the principles of soil health. Of course, we need to give Alan Savory credit for the four ecosystem processes. I tend to give Jay Fear, John Sticka, and Ray Archuleta credit for the principles of soil health. They're really the ones who started talking about it and pushing NRCS to talk about it. Yeah.
0: Well, that's incredible. I mean, talk about being backed into a corner. And then and then the the way your mind, you know, continues to think about other ways to to get to the resolution. And here you are, you're now all of a sudden on the regenerative journey. I mean it's happening right in front of your eyes.
1: Yeah. Yeah, and I, I was blessed in that we have about two thousand acres of what we consider native range. You know, it's never due to the rocks and the slope hills. It it's never been tilled, and I took great solace during those four years of walking that native range and learning to, to observe and watching what the animals were eating and the diversity and seeing the insects and the birds. And you know that gave me great peace. And I'm like you know there's something to be said here, you know, there's something to be said about this diversity and about the complexity of nature and how everything works in synchrony and in harmony with each other. And it really got my mind thinking, you know, I was also very fortunate that in 1998, Jay Fear was the district conservationist with Burley County NRCS at the time, asked me to run for a position as a county supervisor. And Jay took an interest in what I was doing, and he is an avid learner, just like myself. So we learned together. That really helped me a bunch then, because I had somebody to bounce ideas off of. And, you know, I hadn't met Ray Archuleta. I didn't meet David Brandt till 2011. So I met Ray in 2007. So this was quite a few years before, you know, I tell people this happened... So early I, uh, on, I had to go to library and use the Dewey Decimal System to look up, you know, what a cover crop was. And uh, I remember in 1995, I went to the library and I was looked up Thomas Jefferson's old journals to see what he was planting on his plantation, because I had read that he had planted cover crops. Mm-hmm. And I'll never forget, I read in there that he was planting clover and turnips. So I went to the local agronomy center and I was asking them, well, I, I want to buy 50 pounds of turnip seed. And they were trying to figure out how many of those little packets it'd take to make 50 pounds because <laughs> nobody had ever bought 50 pounds of turnip seed before, you know. <laughs> but that's how long ago I started looking at some of these things. And oh it, man. It's just gone a long way since then.
0: Well, you know, I'm gonna take this opportunity right now to to thank you. Uh, for you know, blazing the trail, make, showing the rest of us that this, it is possible to do these things that are that are quote unquote not normal. They're going to be normal soon. Uh, I mean, this whole farming landscape is going to have to change dramatically. Uh, but but Gabe, thank thank you so much, and there, all the listeners out there are thanking you. Uh, you know, not everyone agrees with us or with you, and that's fine. But uh, you've moved so many people so far down this regenerative road. So thank you. Thank you very much.
1: Well, thank you. It's not me. I, I, I do tell the story that that um, the third year of disaster, I remember being in my native pasture and I got down on my knees and I prayed and I said, God, if you will help see me through this, I will do what I can to try and help make earth the kingdom of God. And I really believe since then, I've just been trying to, in some small way, pay him back. And, you know, it's been a real joy, you know, Mm -hmm. because this regenerative, this regenerative journey that that all of us are on, we really find that you not only develop lifelong friends, but it's very profitable and you can make a living and you're doing what's right and you know, there's no doubt in my mind, we've transitioned the ranch over to our son now. And I feel good that I left it in his hands better than I when I started. And there's no doubt in my mind that he'll take it to places that I never dreamt of.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. And and he's doing a lot of that. And, and you started through vertical integration. I mean, uh, how many places are you marketing your your, your livestock to today? I mean, it, it's probably more than you can count.
1: Well, everything's sold uh, direct, pretty much direct to consumer, and I credit, you know, our son for that, Paul. All the beef, lamb, pork, eggs, honey, uh, broilers, whatever else, uh, garden vegetables. He's direct marketing it. He has about eight thousand customers that he's direct marketing to, you know, and it's wow. it's more than a full time job, that's for sure. Wow. But I mean, it's, there's really a lot of satisfaction. You know, as farmers, we're producing food and fiber and to sell that directly to consumers. That's what it's about.
0: Well, that and, and the consumers getting a high quality, high density food product. And that that's the whole that's the whole game changer right there. Yeah.
1: Just today, I was on a Zoom with a very large company who. was interested in visiting with our team because of just that. Mm
0: -hmm. We're doing
1: some really groundbreaking work with Dr. Stefan Van Vliet, Dr. Fred Provenza, Dr. Scott Kronberg, where they're comparing uh, fruits, grains, vegetables, and proteins that are grown in and on soil that's going down the regenerative path and comparing that to the conventional mindset. The differences are not just little; they're absolutely mind-blowing. Two to twenty times higher uh, nutrient density, and that's being measured by by uh, uh, quantifying and determining these phytochemical compounds in the food. And what they found is the array and amount of these phytochemical compounds is directly related to the life in the soil. So the more biologically diverse and healthy our soils are the healthier the plant's going to be healthier the animals going to be the more of these phytochemical compounds that get passed to us and that's what that's what feeds our gut microbiome so it's this food company was interested in it from the standpoint you know should they be looking at this is this the future and i honestly believe it is this is the future of agriculture where we'll finally be able to be rewarded as farmers and ranchers because food will be used as preventative medicine
0: yeah but gabe what uh, the 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 pharmaceutical companies aren't just going to stand by and let this happen no. so so what's, how how's the you know there's going to be some friction so how do we all
1: live in this same world together yeah. And I'll use this as an analogy. It's somewhat comparable. I remember when cover crops really started taking hold, and I was starting to do quite a bit of speaking, as were others about it. And I got a visit one afternoon from the manager of the local co op. And he says, You know, Gabe, I'm here politely, but you really got to stop talking about this because it's negatively ca- affecting our business. And I called him by first name and I says, you really need to look at the way you're seeing things. You need to look at this as an opportunity. Yeah. I said, do you know how much cover crop seed you could probably sell if you put your mind to it? Yeah. Two years later, that agronomy center, their highest net profit enterprise was selling cover crop seed. Yeah. So I'm thinking the same thing for these, these other companies, pharmaceutical, et cetera they need to understand why this demand for nutrient-dense food is happening. And maybe they should be looking at, at, uh, you know, helping farmers, ranchers, sell those products as preventative medicine. Yeah.
0: It's amazing. I mean, folks, Gabe and I have really only met within the last, what, six, eight weeks. Uh, And believe me, I'm going to stay in more more touch with Gabe. We really clicked and we really hit it off when we got face to face with each other. Mm -hmm. But, Gabe, you and I think a lot of like I said, I had the exact same thing happen. I had the local co op come to me and say, Rick, you are going to destroy our our retail business. And I said, Why don't you guys buy a no-till drill and get in the cover crop business? Yeah. And that's what they did. And that's what they did. I mean, why why swim upstream let's figure out how to all work together and we all head to the same goal
1: here that that's exactly right you know i was fortunate 1997 i heard don campbell speak a rancher from alberta canada and he said if you want to make small changes change the way you do things yeah. but if you want to make major changes change the way you see things yeah. and i remember driving home from that conference and i'm going okay gabe you've lost three crops in a row you better start changing the way you see things. And, you know, I I tell people, Gabe Brown really isn't very smart. I'm just very observant. And, you know, I'm very good at stealing ideas from others. I see what they're doing and it's a lot of fun. And what I really realize, Rick, is what you just said. I think as mankind as a society, we can agree on 85 to 90% of the things. Yeah. Why don't we come together, find that common ground for common good? Instead, what do we do? It's left and right. And let's argue about the 10% of the things we don't agree on. That's That's not going to drive society forward. That's not going to heal our ecosystems.
0: No, no. You know, it's funny. Again, there's another parallel. You know, dad told me a long time ago, he said, Rick, you know, when, when you're working with people, you can only expect them to, to achieve 90% of you want, and you have to accept the other 10% as just part of the way it's going to be. And that's exactly what you just said.
1: Yeah. You know,
0: And that's another thing too, Gabe. I mean, when we're out talking to people and, and and I always ask, you know, how do you measure success? I mean, do you really think we're going to get a hundred percent of the acres to go cover crop? It's not going to happen. So, yeah. what does success look like? And I'm going to ask you that question. Let's just talk about the United States for right now. What would success in Gabe Brown's mind be for
1: for regenerative farming practices? Yep. Yeah. So, success in my mind is when the majority of both the farmers and the acres are using these regenerative practices, because. And we really don't even need that many to get to the tipping point. As far as I'm yeah. concerned, the snowballs are already starting to roll downhill yeah. just from the interest that we're seeing. But I just hope I live long enough to see where regenerative agriculture is the norm. Yeah. That's what I would love to see. It's the norm. Yeah.
0: yeah. It, it, uh, you know, we briefly touched on this before the recording started here, but, uh, uh the farming landscape the way we see it today and i'm not, i'm not talking about regenerative i'm talking about the the rest of the other 97% or whatever it is it's going to have to make some major changes because this is not this is not going to be sustainable for very much longer
1: yeah and and i'm sure like you rick every day i get asked well if this is so good why aren't more people doing it
0: yeah
1: well farmers and ranchers cannot implement what they do not know yeah. And, you know, unfortunately, the majority of our land grant institutions extension, you know, certainly not the input companies are not educating farmers and ranchers as to this production model. And then you put on top of it, you know, our government, for whatever reason, thinks they need to bail us out every single time something happens. Yeah, You know, we had a very I'll give you an example. We had a pretty, uh, what many consider a pretty rough winter here in central North Dakota this past uh, winter, 120 plus inches of snow. And what does the government start doing? They start paying ranchers for their losses for losing calves born in this January, February, March time period. And I'm going, well, that's totally ridiculous. You're calving so out of sync with nature. And I was there for many years I did it, but at least I wised up. You know, why are we paying farmers, ranchers for bad production practices? That that makes absolutely no sense whatsoever. You right. know, we shouldn't be doing that. Right. You know, so there's that safety net, and a lot of farmers go, "Why should I change? I got that safety net. Why should I change?"
0: Yeah. Yeah, and and you bring up another good point, and. And again, you and I are very aligned on this. It's all about teaching. I mean, look at your shirt. I see your hat. We all know Gabe Brown is understanding ag. We all know that's a, those two go together. We know that. This training has to happen like you're doing. Because if we don't properly teach the, the, the teachers how to do these things, you got one shot with the farmer. Who is who doesn't know any anything about what we're doing, and they're going to give you every reason in the book why I told you it
1: wouldn't work here. I tried to tell you. Yeah. So that's exactly teaching. right. Case in point of that is look at long term. And I, you know, one thing about me, I got a big mouth. I'll pick on everybody, including myself. But you know, I have many, many good friends at NRCS, and they're wonderful people. Okay, I disagree with some of the programs that they use. They dangle these carrots or incentives out there. Long-term adoption of these practices that NRCS offers a cost share for is somewhere between 8 and 12 percent. Now, come on, you know, you and I can't afford to be successful only 8 to 12 percent of the time. We wouldn't stay in business very long. Mm-mm. So what we say at understanding ag and what you do also is. Our goal is to educate. We need to educate farmers as to why they should plant a cover crop. Okay, Why is that important to them? Yeah. Why do you need diversity in the crop rotation? Why do you need to integrate livestock? Instead of just dangling a carrot, the minute that carrot's removed, the farmer stops because right. there's no education that goes along with it. Or the money flow has stopped to help finance what the program, exactly. yeah. Yep, as soon as they, they pull out money, they stop. We just finished a uh, four-year project where we worked with a group of uh, wheat producers in a supply chain, mm-hmm. and we educated them as to the principles and processes. Uh, the The company that had us do that did an exit questionnaire how many of you are going to continue these practices? 100%. 100% of them. Now, I'm not going to say we're going to back that all the time, but that shows you the importance of education yeah. and yeah. what goes along with that education? Profitability. We're yeah. sticking more money in their pocket. That's what's going to drive change. Yeah, it's exactly right. Yeah. You cannot teach enough.
0: I totally agree. Mm-hmm. Uh, we've got a question uh, from David Ernst here. Uh, Gabe, where does someone go to get uh, get their uh, nutrient density tested so they can compare against uh, conventional practices?
1: Yeah, and realize what I was talking about, David. Thank you for that question. I was talking about, about phytochemical compounds. You need a mass spectrometer. That's very expensive. What we use on our ranch that will measure like omega-3s, 6s, CLAs, nutrients. We use the food grade lab. Uh, we've used Iowa State University. And um, if you email me, Gabe at understandingag.com, I'll be happy to get you their contact information at Iowa State.
0: Yeah, Rachel, if you're there, would you type uh, Gabe's email in there? He's been gracious enough to give that out to everyone. Uh, please repeat it again, Gabe.
1: Yeah, it's simply Gabe At understandingag.com.
0: Yeah, that's easy. So, uh, David, there you go. Uh, Brad is just making a comment. If you want to control countries, control the oil. If you want to control people, control the food. So,
1: yeah, I don't think we need to control people, but I do think we need to, um, I do think we need to realize there's this misconception out there that that there's this food shortage and farmers have to produce more and more to feed the world. You know, the last figures I had from 2021, we produced enough food for 10.3 billion people. There's 8 billion people on this planet approximately right now. We don't have a food shortage. There may be trouble with logistics, getting to where it is. But what I'm saying is for farmers and ranchers to wait for food shortages, yeah, you're going to be waiting a long time. Yeah, you know to increase prices, you're going to be waiting a long time. We need to, we need to truly start producing nutrient dense food and then selling it as the preventative medicine it is. Right. Yeah,
0: I, 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 I totally agree with you. It's going to be an extremely uphill battle, but it's like you said. I mean, uh, you know, there's a great book out there, Tipping Point, from Malcolm Gladwell, I believe the number is 11% maybe 12% yeah it's right around
1: tip,
0: tips i mean most yep. people who wouldn't even think about a tipping point would probably give you an answer it's going to take something over 50 or 60%
1: no no
0: you no. it's a very small number
1: and and rick you've seen it too i really believe we're going to be approaching that very quickly within the next handful of years yeah i mean just today i was jotting this down right before i got on to you In the last 24 hours, well, less than that even, 20 hours, I have spoke to people from the United States, of course, Australia, the UK, Sweden, Canada, Venezuela, and Spain, who all are interested in regenerative ag. That's just in the last 20 hours. We don't think this is occurring worldwide. It's, It's occurring very, very quickly. Oh, yeah,
0: yeah. Uh, and Lude Myla, thanks for putting on Gabe's email there. Appreciate it. Lude Myla's on every week. Uh, she's a, a PhD in uh, North Carolina. That's, that's all about biology and, and right. she's, she's, she's wonderful. So, um, Gabe, do you, uh, do you do any, do you do any, uh, I'm just going to call
1: it bugs in a jug. Do you do any of that stuff or, or, you know, I, I uh, I get asked that often and I tell, you know we have clients asking us and i say if you want to try those things and you think they will move you down the regenerative journey faster go ahead but be sure to do a split trial so you know too many people go out and they spray or apply this to the entire field then how do you know whether this is a success or not i'll give you this little story true story back when mycorrhizal fungi first became available uh, as an amendment, I called Dr. Chris Nichols, who's a good friend of mine, authority on mycorrhizal fungi, and I asked her, Dr. Nichols, should I be looking at this mycorrhizal fungi? And I'll never forget her words. She said, Gabe, there's over 175,000 known species of mycorrhizal fungi. What do you suppose the two they put in that jug are? the two that you need (laughs) and <laughs> I just laughed. I said, okay, point taken. Yeah. So on our farm, honestly, we have used nothing as we've transitioned down this path. Yeah. No amendments of any kind. We've we removed ourselves from synthetic fertility in 07 was the last year. Uh we dropped all the pesticides and fungicides before the turn of the century. Um so uh, with the exception of for our livestock and we dropped that in 2009 yeah
0: well and we've got some we've got some questions and some comments coming in but uh, you've also uh, you're like us but I think you've done it a lot longer no government subsidy payments no no government programs you don't have your handout you don't you don't have that that uh, uh, parachute to protect you, how long has that been it, now? It,
1: it's, it's been at least 12 years since i okay. walked into an NRCS or FSA office. Uh, we refuse everything, you know, even the COVID payments, all them, we refuse oh, yeah. to
0: take. We didn't do any of that.
1: I, I'm proud of the fact that, that our son, Paul, who just got married on Sunday, he's 35 years old and has never accepted a government payment of any kind. And I'm really proud of the, key, the fact that he has not borrowed money. The boy operates on cash.
0: How about and not that? Not many
1: thirty-five-year-olds can say they operate a six-thousand-acre operation on cash.
0: Not very many. Yeah. Not very many. And, and it's and, not
1: because of dad and mom's handout yeah. either. And, you yeah.
0: and I was just going to say that
1: everyone's going to say, "Well, it's because Gabe set him up." No. 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 Yeah. No. I always told my children I'm going to be harder on them than anyone else because I expect more of them, yeah. and I've been pretty tough on my kids, especially my son. But uh, uh, it's all his now, and he's doing so a look, good job. Look at the reward now. So yeah,
0: yeah, yeah that, that's awesome.
1: Just took uh, him a little longer to get married than I maybe would have liked, but that's okay.
0: Well, I and mean, then, yeah, we got to get some grandchildren in there somewhere, right?
1: Yeah, that's right. We have two from our daughter, so that's good. Oh, that's good. There you yeah. go.
0: That's great. I'm, and I'm like a lot of people. I'm learning more about your family, too, as we go along here. So um, got a got a question from Enrique. Uh, I have an organic farm in southeast Minnesota. Uh, we were wanting to try this no-till but are worried. I've listened to both of you a lot uh how viable do you think this option is so what, what do you think gabe
1: um i would need to know a lot more before i could steer him in the right direction before i would feel comfortable doing that i honestly believe you know i've been 100 zero till since 1994. uh our farm could be certified organic if we so chose uh I choose not to do that simply because I think the minute I do that, the certain, you know, I got 97% of the people out there, producers who are not organic. I'm afraid they're going to quit listening to me. If I tell them I'm an organic producer, I would not have wanted to jump immediately down that path. I'd want to understand soil function, carbon nitrogen ratios, cover crops, crop rotations, before I go to organic no-till, but Rick, you're much better uh, at answering that question than I am. So no,
0: that's a great that's a great answer, and you're you, you're exactly right. And we need a lot more information. It's hard to just off the fly say yes or no. Um, I I don't have any of this figured out yet by any stretch of the imagination. It's a constant work in progress. And that's the way everything in life ought to be. You you should never be satisfied. You should continue to try to make it better each and every day. Uh, we've got a long way to go. I'm, I'm like Gabe. I I just don't like the tillage aspect. Now, I you know I will admit though, Gabe, there there are times that that sometimes I need to push that reset button because something's gotten where I don't want it to be. And on on the scale that we are, that happens frequently. So. Sometimes you do push the reset button. Um, I don't like it, but we do it. But for the most part, it's no till and it's going to continue to be that way. And I totally agree with you, Gabe. I mean, I do not, I've never, ever once suggested that you should be organic or, or anybody else. Don't listen to my system. Take pieces of what I do. Take pieces of what you do. Take it home to your context and then implement.
1: You're exactly right, Rick. And you know, I give Ray Archuleta the credit. Ray pushed for us to add a sixth principle of context, and he is absolutely right because yeah. that, in many ways, is the most important principle. Yeah. You know, my context here in central North Dakota is certainly different than yours is. Oh
0: yeah.
1: You know, we we have to look at our own context. And I tell people, you know, my context financially is much different today than it was after those four years of of hail and drought. All yeah. those things have to be taken into account before we can make informed decisions.
0: Yeah, that's right. That's right. Um, Ed is on Ed's on every week. Gabe is Alejandro's uh, great work gaining more attention. Regenerative, reversing the de- does desertification so needed around
1: the world? You know, uh, he's talking about Alejandro Carrillo in the Chihuahuan Desert and and uh, Alejandro's doing fantastic things down there. Fernando Falomer also in the Chihuahuan Desert. Um, Blaine Jurdis, one of our consultants, gave a presentation a week ago on carbon and the importance of carbon. And in that presentation he talked about, historically speaking, there was no deserts around the world as we know them today. Hmm. We as humans have desertified over 4 million acres of land. You know, that's just astounding, that was never there before. And so the amazing thing is though, with just animals as a tool, Along with adaptive grazing, we're very quickly able to regreen those deserts. And I'll throw out a little tease. I happen to know that there's another documentary being filmed uh, as we speak. And uh, the emphasis of that documentary is regreening the deserts. Mm-hmm. So look forward to that one down the road. Oh, yeah.
0: Isn't it amazing though how quickly you can turn something around if you just try some different techniques?
1: Yeah. Yeah. That's why I've really come to the conclusion, you know, as I get older, I get pretty even more brash in what I say. And I tell people, because you've heard it too, Rick, every every conference you go to, but but Gabe, but Rick, you don't understand our soils aren't like that. You don't understand it's not like yeah. that. Well, I understand exactly what those people's problem is. They need to go in the bathroom, look in the mirror. There's their problem. You know, there's their problem. It's yeah. compaction right up here. That's the problem. Because, <laughs> you know, soil is simply sand, silt, and clay held together by biotic glues. Now it's various proportions thereof, but this isn't rocket science. It's simply time-tested ecological principles. And we can take that sand, silt, and clay... Any proportion thereof, and start growing healthy soils.
0: Yeah, that's great, uh, John Hume. If the soil has abundant resources, i.e., fertility and minerals, and the atmosphere is full of nitrogen that can be uh, assessed or accessed by biology, how important is soil testing? Is more of a way to monitor? Is it more of a way to monitor progress?
1: Oh, great question, and. I mentioned this on a webinar I did with a group from Australia here last night. You know, approximately 97% of the nutrients a plant needs for for growth is found in the atmosphere. Yet as farmers, how many of us realize that? And then how many of us take advantage of that? Mm -hmm. You know, there's only about 3% approximately that comes from the soil. Now to answer his question, we need to understand that soil is really a biological system and that's the type of testing we need to do. When we bring on new clients, we always do a TND test, total nutrient digestion, just to show them, we've tested, uh, we're we're, we're gonna pass 34 million acres here in the next month or so that we're working with. And we've tested over 33 million acres. We have not found a single Acre that's deficient in nutrients for profitable crop production. Now, the difference there lies, many people are pushing the envelope, so to speak. They're trying to outproduce their environment. And it's coming at a cost to the ecosystem. They're using up the carbon in their soils and that. We have to change the way we see things and realize it isn't just about yield, it's about profitability. And it's about our context and our environment. And when we realize that, nature can provide. Mm -hmm. You know, uh, true story, back in 2009, I was combining corn one evening. My son was away at the university, and I remember talking to him on the phone. And I was complaining a little bit about my corn crop, the yield. And he said, Dad, you're trying to outproduce our environment. Man, that was just like I got slapped alongside the head and I'm going, wow, his mother's brains must have shown through there because I hadn't thought of that. But ever since then, I never, ever complain about what our yield is because I know it's going to be profitable because we're such least cost producers. Now I'm going to make money and some years it's better than others. Yeah. What's wrong with that?
0: Yeah, nothing. Nothing. I I, uh, I never put yield in any of my presentations, never have. That's right. It's not important. I mean, no. but unfortunately, oh. unfortunately, Gabe, that's how people measure a farmer's success is by what did your field yield?
1: Yeah. Everybody wants to know yield, but... Uh... But maybe we should start comparing bank accounts or something. No, yeah. I didn't say that, did I? <laughs>
0: yeah, yeah. Well, hey, you know, you've got that liars' table in at town. We've all got the liars' table. Yeah. And there's the there's the lie that's told there of what your yield is. Then when you go to your banker, what what numbers he being told? So <laughs> yeah.
1: yeah. And then we all want to get to the place where we don't have a banker. See, that's yeah. that's the that's, that's the holy grail.
0: that's my that's my next immediate goal i think uh i think by 2025 i think i can be done with the bank i it's going to be close yeah but 26 i think for sure i mean gabe if you look back and again i don't like to i don't want to brag but in the last seven years our farm has bought our our family has bought uh five six hundred acres of ground we've we've tiled a thousand acres i mean and people want to, want to drive by and, and snub what we're doing, you know. But uh, it, it gets frustrating. It's yeah.
1: frustrating. You know what? Uh, they can laugh at me. I'll just laugh my way to the bank. Yeah, that's to fine. To make a deposit. Yeah, that's
0: that's just fine. Yeah. Well, I've got a couple questions here from my good friend Dan DeSutter. You know Dan.
1: Oh, boy. And They, they uh, better be easy ones, Dan. I'm getting uh, old, you know. They're going <laughs> to
0: um the the first one, um, this is the this is the sincere one. It would be hard to over overestimate the impact that you and Dave Brant have had on my and many others evolution as a farmer. Uh, I wonder if you could describe the first time you met Dave in person. I would have liked to have been a fly on the wall for that conversation. <laughs>
1: Oh, well, thank you, Dan. Thank you for the compliment. And, you know, I wouldn't be where I'm at today without my good friend David Brandt. And I met Ray Archuleta in 2007. He showed up at my uh, ranch for an NRCS training. And I remember this guy standing there with his head cocked and this quizzical look in his face, and the wheels were turning. And Ray and I became close friends. Well, Ray introduced us via telephoned me to David Brandt. And I visited with David a couple of times. And then in 2011, June of 2011, Ray had me come and do a dog and pony show around Kentucky speaking at various workshops. And that evening he he just told me, we went to our room and he said, I got a little surprise for you tonight. It's gonna be here in a few minutes. And David Brandt knocked on the door and I'll never forget opening that door. And here's this mammoth of a man. And he said, come here. I just want to give you a big hug. And I'll never forget that. And later on that fall, I David asked me to come to his place. And, and I got to go spend some time with him and Kendra. And of course, the three of us became very dear friends. And of course, started Understanding Ag and Soil Health Academy. And, and uh, it's very kind of you to say that, Dan, but uh, yeah. that's the first time we met in person, and I'll never forget it.
0: <laughs> yeah. I mean, I didn't know Dave near as well as you do, Gabe, but I I think of I've somewhere in a day's time, he's his, his memory comes into my thinking every single day yep. since his uh, terrible accident.
1: Yeah. And what, you know, he, he was a big man, but he had a bigger heart. He
0: oh, just yeah. wanted to help everybody. Yeah, yeah, he sure did. Um, all right, here you go. Now we're getting into now. Now you can uh, you can uh, turn turn it loose now. Okay, if you were to put if you were put in charge of the federal agricultural policy, what would you do differently? Oh boy, here we oh, go. Yeah, here we go.
1: Yep. Yeah, first of all. Um, I'm not saying that there's not a place for it. I'm not saying there's not a place for a hand up, but it would definitely become outcome based. There would be nobody who allows the type of, of degradation that we're seeing in many areas would be receiving government assistance. Okay. That's just uncalled for with the knowledge we have today, the practices, uh, uh, that are available to us. And so I really would, uh, uh, I would tie the uh, food program and that assistance directly to the ag program in the way that anybody receiving, you know uh, what's the correct term for it now, women, infants, and children, those type of, uh, of, uh, programs, they would have to all source nutrient-dense food from farmers and ranchers. And we would also tie it in to the healthcare profession. You know, there's some great work actually starting to be done around the country, tying in um, nutrient-dense food as preventative medicine, and then lowering healthcare Uh, Costs and insurance premiums based on that. That's what Dan. I'd really like to see happen is this food as preventative medicine, but it has to be based on outcomes on ecological health of the landscape, and that internally increased profitability on the farms and ranches.
0: Yeah, and I I like to go a step further there if I could, Gabe. And I mean, anything that's related to a government program, if you don't if you don't get give anything in return, you don't get anything back. So, you know, I've often said a five, a four or five tier. If you don't do any regenerative practices, you don't get any, any government subsidy payments. Absolutely. If you do 20%, then you get 20% of the. I mean, it's just that.
1: Outcome based. Absolutely. Yeah.
0: Yeah. I've never seen, I've never seen an industry that gets bailed out like the ag industry does and I've never seen an industry that never holds anybody accountable
1: for anything in return. It's unbelievable. Yeah. Well, we all know what happened in Illinois there. And, and, you know, that was just totally uncalled for. And, and I'm sorry, you know, many people say, Oh, we can't point fingers at that. I'm sorry. Until we do. And until there's accountability, things aren't going to change. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Uh, got a question here from Doug and, and, and we, I think we know what Gabe's answer is because we've already briefly talked about this. Gabe and Rick, do you ever use foliar applications of microbes or anything else to help with photosynthesis and release more exudates to help more activity in the biological atmosphere to help nutrition the plants? We know what your answer is. It's a no, Uh uh, Doug, I have a little bit and I am not seeing any change. I've said this before, when you implement the principles of soil health and you uh, take everything away like we have, you will be building the biology that will make your system healthy and viable and no need for, for, for any of these, these things to be applied. But I do agree with what Gabe said earlier. I think if you are transitioning to this journey, these practices will help you get there a little bit quicker.
1: Yep. And I like what Dr. Java Johnson says. Dr. Johnson, you know, and his wife, Wei-Chin Su, they, uh, the Johnson-Su bioreactor. And Dr. Johnson says, you know, this really works well, used as either a seed inoculum or, or as a foliar application in the, in the form of a compost tea to apply, but... It's gonna do you no good if you don't uh, practice the principles and apply the principles. Because what good is it to do to proliferate biology if there's no home and habitat for it?
0: Yeah, that's right. Doug, thanks for the question. Uh, We've got one here from Ashley. Ashley's in central Vermont, have been using cover crops for 10 years and no-till for 15, good for you. Uh, We use, have dairy cattle, no longer do. We are trying to incorporate beef cattle back in. How important are animals to the rotation and do you cover all of your acres with animals? Good question. That's a great question.
1: You know, about a third of our clients do not have livestock. Mm -hmm. We can move them down the regenerative journey. We can help them significantly advance soil health and function. But make no mistake about it, It will never get to the point it could if animals were incorporated. Ecosystems do not function properly without animals and insects. That's all there is to it. So Mm -hmm. on our ranch, do we get over all 6,000 acres every year with livestock? No, we come close though. We come close, but we don't get over all the acres. Realize where our ranch is now, we're in city jurisdiction, housing developments uh, on several sides of some of the the farm ground. It just becomes real difficult when you get that call that the cows are drinking out of the neighbor's swimming pool. That's not a good call to get, you know, so, yeah.
0: Well, okay, let's stay right there for just a moment. Okay, so, Gabe, you've got uh, a 6,000-acre ranch. So how many cattle do you have to make this rotation try to, you know, get in 12 months, touch every acre, how many many cattle?
1: Yeah. So we're running between, you know, and if you uh, realize we grass finish, so we have cow-calf pairs plus we have yearling cattle plus finishers Uh, this year right now, Paul has them all in one group, which is about 800 head together moving across the landscape Then besides that, there is uh, 150 or so sheep. There's several hundred hogs. Uh, Last time I asked him, he had 1,600 laying hens out on there. So uh, quite a few head of livestock.
0: Yeah. And and remember, folks, context. Mm -hmm. Gabe is in North Dakota. So just because he just said 800 head of cattle on 6,000 acres, that's not the number you're going to use in Arkansas so yeah. keep the context in in mind yeah. here okay
1: and rea- realize there's only 12 people in north dakota so <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah that's right um doug stefan how does someone go about finding markets that will recognize the value of a regenerative grown product ah
1: what a nice tee up for your next company yeah so i believe you had solar on already yeah. our, our uh, company that uh, the partners of of Understanding Ag and Doug Peterson, two years ago, although we didn't want to get into it, I am in no way a fan of certification verification, but we were tired of the greenwashing that was taking place. We were tired of companies saying that they're sourcing regeneratively grown and raised products and we're going, no, you're not. No, you're not. Mm -hmm. Let me give you an example of that. I had an energy company contact us who wanted us to help them source regenerative soybeans. So I said, sure, we can do that. I helped put together a budget for us to educate the farmers, take them down the regenerative journey, presented that to the company and they said, no, we just wanna source no-till soybeans and that's regenerative. Well, we all know that, you know, some of the poorest soil I've ever seen is no-till soil with the over-application of synthetics. You know, and I'm like, no, that's not regenerative. So anyway, we started a company called Regenified. Regenified's goal is to increase profitability on farms and ranches while moving regenerative practices forward. So I'm sure, Rick, they can go listen to that podcast that you did with Salar. But right now, uh, Whole Foods has approved the Regenified label. And just as of last month, we are the only FSIS approved regenerative certification company in the United States. So the USDA has approved us. And so you're starting to see the label show up on store shelves. Uh, Right now we have 26 companies that have committed to moving their supply chains Regenified. We're telling our farmer and rancher clients, get your baseline established, but then be ready. Cause uh, uh, we just, for instance, one contract uh, we had, we sold a bunch of spring wheat for $22 a bushel, verified regenerative. That's a pretty good, that's a pretty good lick right there. Yeah, we've got a very large egg company that uh, I'll be honest, they, are switching their entire supply chain to regenerative because they're getting a $2 a dozen price premium on regenified certified eggs. So, so the,
0: the consumer's paying that
1: the consumer is paying that. Yeah. But that's the, shows you the demand. That's right. That shows you the demand. That's something.
0: Yeah. yeah. And, and this is again, the way we started this off. I mean, Gabe, this is what you've done for this industry. I mean, we, we, we thank you uh you're just because see it's one thing and and thanks for the question it's a great question but it's one thing to to create or or develop a regenerative product but if you don't have an outlet for it what? Well, that's right
1: yeah that's, that's right and realize you know one of the benefits i have over most producers is i was flat ass broke yeah. i was You know, at the end of those four years, my wife and I were $1.5 million in debt. That's pretty scary when you're 30 some years old, you know, and how am I going to get out of that mountain of debt? I tell you what, I really learned how to market and how to add value. And most farmers and ranchers are very good at production, but they suck as marketers and they're afraid to ask it. You know, they're afraid to ask what their product deserves and should demand. We need to become better marketers. So our whole goal with Regenified is how do we increase profitability while advancing ecosystem health on large landscapes? Yep, That's
0: awesome. That's awesome. Um, Okay, this is actually a pretty good question. I know you said you don't use any biology, but do you use inoculants on your legume seed?
1: And a great question, and sometimes I still do for the sake that if, you know, I'm one I like to experiment, and I tell people I've probably grown more different cover crop species than anybody else, certainly in North Dakota, but because some of these legumes take specific inoculants, we will use them then. You know, now they've done the industry has done a very good job of, of putting these inoc these rhizobia together, so yeah. uh, it'll uh, inoculate a wide variety. of covers, but when I'm seeding a legume that I haven't had on the farm or on that particular field, then I will add an inoculum. Yes, yeah,
0: that's a great question. Yeah, yeah, yeah. thank you. Uh that was from Kenny. Thanks. Ed Bourgeois again. How close are we to regenerative
1: supply chains becoming a reality? It's happening. It's happening. Um, right now Doug Peterson is the chief scientific officer for Regenified. He's in charge of all the verifiers he has put together, and I'd have to ask him how many he has now, but there's at least 20, 25 of them around the country. And he's having a tough time keeping up right now with the number of supply chains that want to be verified. So it's only going to accelerate here in the very near term. Well, think of it this way. The majority of these large companies have all made, uh, announced their environmental goals, sustainability goals. They want to regenerate a million acres, 30 million acres, whatever the case may be. How are they gonna do that without the farmer and rancher? I spend the majority of my time now, Rick, in front of this laptop, talking to heads of sustainability, boards of directors, CEOs of companies and supply chains, how agriculture, regenerative agriculture is the answer to that. The farmers and ranchers that are moving down this path can help that company answer their ESG concerns, address their sustainability goals, And it will lead to that company having a consistent supply of high quality product. Win, win, win. But they got to be willing to pay for that. They can't expect it at the same prices because they're getting a lot out of it also. So that's where we're at. That's what we're focused on.
0: Yeah. Okay. That's great. Uh, From Kenny, have you tried GPS collars such as no fence on cattle instead of fencing? If so, how does it work?
1: Yeah. So uh, on our ranch, I have not tried that. But I, matter of fact, spoke twice last week to the technology officer from one of those companies. I was on a farm in Illinois here in August that was using that technology and I gotta tell you, it it's working much better than I would have envisioned. I still don't know if it's quite at a price point that makes it economically feasible. It's about thirty five cents per head per day, okay, to use that technology and run it. But depending on your labor costs and where you're at, what do you, you know, how this uh, group of livestock you have, I it, you know, it may pay. I did even. T- talk to a producer who's using it on goats. And if it'll keep goats in, it should keep about anything. In. <laughs> no
0: kidding. Yeah, no kidding. Um,
1: I, I do assume. think there's a real place for it. I do think it will, uh, you know, as they perfect it and and technology improves, I definitely see it being
0: used. Yeah. Yeah, I, I'm assuming that uh, we don't like to name drop, but I'm assuming that Farming Illinois is at Monty's place. It is. Yeah, he's pretty progressive. Monty's pretty progressive. Yeah. 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 We'll have to have him on sometime. That's Monty Bottons.
1: Yeah. Do. It'd be an interesting conversation.
0: Yeah. Yeah, it would. Um, what does it take to be Regenified certified? I, I know we did go through this with Solar, but let's just go
1: through it real quick with you. I know you got yeah. levels and, and yeah. just
0: uh, give us the guidelines. Yeah.
1: And I'll just do it very briefly. So, Doug Peterson, and I give Doug all the credit, he developed the guidelines for Regenified. And he developed them based on the six principles of soil health, the three rules of adaptive stewardship, the four ecosystem processes, the six, three, four. So a verifier comes to your farm or ranch. They take 65 different tests and observations that all have to do with the six, three, four, and how you're doing. Okay, Everybody just by applying is automatically in the funnel, so to speak. Now, to be able to use the Regenified seal, you have to reach tier two. Tier one is an application. That involves the certifier coming out and you have to have a plan to move forward. Because one of the big differences between Regenified and other verifications out there is you have to continue to advance. Because remember, us founders, our goal is, how do we make regenerative agriculture the norm? So we want to be very inclusive to start, but we want to push everybody forward. So you have three years to advance. Now, obviously, there's contingencies in there for drought, hail, et cetera. At tier two, that means you can use the seal, and it means 20% of your acres qualify as the, to the six, three, four. Then tier three is simply 40%, 60 and 80% and above. And like we have farmers who have been going down this path a while, they may come in at tier three, four, or five right off the bat. And once you're at tier five, you need to, you know, you're not gonna advance to higher tier, but you need to keep advancing. So it keeps pushing you. The beautiful thing is you're only compared to yourself. Doesn't matter what your neighbors are doing. Doesn't matter if the neighbors are organic, if you're organic, that doesn't matter. How do you compare to yourself? Are you advancing your farm, your ranch? That's the beauty of it. It is an annual verification. So a verifier will be out there. It is not cheap, but in saying that, what we're seeing is from an outcome standpoint, the added value is more than paying for the cost of verification.
0: Yeah, so, okay, let's back up just a second there. Um, You said 20% of your farm. Okay, I'm just going to throw out a number here. Mm -hmm. So, but you have to identify which field is that because- Okay no, so
1: your whole farm. So it's 20%. So if they go out there and for instance they're looking at armor on the soil 20% of your acres has to have minimum threshold of the amount no, of armor on the soil.
0: No, I understand that. I'm talking about um, I'm talking about selling your product cuz you now can get the seal, right? At, mm-hmm. let's say it's let's say you're at 40%. 40% of your yeah. farm is where you want to be. So then, what what products can I sell with the regenified label then
1: to get a premium? Yeah, and that's that my... those products have to be looked at as they're growing. Okay, and they have to meet those tiers. Okay, yes. that that yep. I got it. should have said that. Yep.
0: No, that makes sense now. I got it. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, they
1: have to be verified while they're growing.
0: Yeah. Uh, let's see. I may have got behind here on a couple things. Um. This is from Sarah, I hope I pronounced it, right, Sarah Kehoe. Uh, I see Vital Farms eggs just received the regenerified service. That's a big deal. Uh, can you share with us yet what other companies and farms are currently working on getting the certification? Excited to tell my nutrition patients. Good to see you, Gabe.
1: Hi, Sarah. Good to hear from you. Sarah, I wish I could, but until those companies are fully certified, we don't, we're not going to make announcements. That's client privilege. Uh, suffice it to say, though, we have uh, beef, honey, eggs, milk, wheat, cocoa, soap, timber, uh, cotton, and soybeans, of course, corn, of course, uh, rice. Uh, you, you can about name it. And there's not companies being certified as we speak.
0: That's awesome. I, I want to tell you right now, Gabe, we've got Carol, my my beautiful wife's got uh regenerified honey in the, in the pantry. So uh, it, it's, uh, it's reaching out. So, uh, but that's great. I mean, Vital Farms eggs, that's, that's big.
1: That is huge. And, and we have uh, several other companies that are much larger than Vital Farms. Yeah, that's great.
0: That's awesome. Um, this is from Doug, and I, I'm sorry I can't see your last name, Doug. So Gabe and Rick, in context, my area will grow winter wheat and yield around 100 bushel per acre. This is a grass crop that likes nitrogen. How do we uh, do this without synthetic fertilizer and no animals? Can I achieve this no-till for 33 years and cover crops for 12? What is the soil testing or what soil testing should I do and and
1: uh, where am I at to achieve my goal? That's a great question. First, congratulations, very good production. Um, I don't think your goal should be zero synthetics. You know, uh, I'd need to know a lot more about your context, whether you're really 33, uh, excuse me, 100 bushes an acre of producing your environment. The testing you need to do is biological testing. We recommend the Haney test, the PLFA test, a TND test and a wet aggregate stability test to start out. From those tests, we can get a pretty good indication of the biological activity of your soil. Then it's gonna depend on, you know, above every surface acre of earth, there's approximately 32,000 tons of atmospheric nitrogen. Now, you, any of us can take massive amounts of nitrogen, pull it out of the atmosphere through living plants, and move it into the soil, move it into an organic form tied up, you know, uh, in the living plant itself. One of the things we like to do uh, with our clients is when they plant cover crops, diverse cover crops, clip those cover crops, send them in for analysis, and take a look at the nutrients that are in there. Last year, extremely dry year in North Dakota, 6.6 total inches of precipitation for the year. I planted a diverse warm season mix. We still brought in 209 pounds of nitrogen per acre into that living biomass. So my question is, can you produce 100 bushels of winter wheat on 209 bushels of ant? I would certainly think so. Now realize it's all not going to cycle through that year and it depends on the biology you have, but that's why we look at it from a biological standpoint, then what's your crop rotation, how much nutrients are you recycling? And then we got to focus on profitability, not just yield.
0: Right. That's very well said. Thank you. That's awesome. Um, uh, we got another one here. I, again, I can't, I don't know why I don't see all of the names. I, all I see is R-A-M-O. Uh, can you help me there? Do you see any more of a name there, Gabe, than I'm seeing? I, look. I can't. Uh, it's not that important, I guess, not right at the moment, but because farmers are selling their land, I am a novice in the farming culture, but so interested in living and learning about land. I have a good amount of back yard in the suburbs of illinois that i would love to make fruitful where do i begin
1: help Mm -hmm. and that's ramona ramona okay and and what the beautiful thing about the principles rules and processes is it doesn't matter whether we're on a ranch in north dakota a farm in indiana or in a suburb the principles rules and processes are the same yeah. You you just follow them and, you know, minimize disturbance, keep armor on the soil, living root, diversity. We do those. And, and people say, yeah, but I can't have livestock in the suburb. Well, the birds and the microbiology and the soil and the earthworms, that's your livestock, you know, the yeah. bees and all that. So the same thing can be done.
0: Right. And hey, thanks to, to uh, Cyrus and, and Sarah there for putting on some, uh, some links there for what Regenified's doing, appreciate that. Uh, Ramona's you, giving you a thumbs up, good answer, uh, Gabe. Um, let's go back to Dan here. Um, how do we as a nation overcome the, the politics of corporate greed in order to enact better agricultural policies or no policy, in other words, no federal involvement?
1: Yeah. Dan, I I wish I knew the answer to that. I wish I did. I really think it gets back to the common ground for common good. And we have to start approaching things, you know, in a way that's for the good of all. I think it starts with consumers, with their buying dollar. It starts with companies and supply chains doing the right thing. And understanding there's a greater good, a greater cause. You know, hey, I'm the same as anybody else. I'm going to take care of myself my family first. Yeah. But in saying that, I'm not going to do it at the expense to future generations, the expense to mankind. And I think it it starts with education. And we, we educate who we can. And the way the political winds are in Washington, let's face it, you know, the amount of money being thrown around by lobbyists, we're trying to, as I said, we're trying to steer a battleship in a bathtub, you know, if we think we're going to change Washington. I'm not going to say we don't try and make headway there, but I myself, I'd rather work with the farmers and ranchers, the businesses and the consumers.
0: Yeah, yeah, we both, uh, we both have been honored to testify in front of Congress and, um uh if it, that's
1: it, what you want to call
0: it okay yeah it, uh, <laughs> the system needs restructuring in in the worst way but uh but yeah it um it, it seems like an uphill battle but uh but you know we got to stay with it and um yeah you know i i totally okay. agree though the teaching the teaching is where all i mean you know this is not that's the next the next leg forward in this movement is the mass teaching that needs to take and that's what you're doing what would you say? Your 36 million acres you've
1: touched now? 34 that we'll be actively consulting on. That's, that's insane. I mean, think right. about that, Gabe. Think what you've done there. No, that's not just me. It's a whole team and many others. And, you know, Rick, that's the beauty of it, though. Everyone listening to your podcast now is a little more informed, a little more educated because of it. To who much is given, much is expected. You know, and shame on us if we know these things and don't yeah. try and educate others. Yeah. It's on all of our shoulders to continue yeah. this.
0: Yeah. We've got uh we've got your good friend Doug on. He's come on and uh Doug Peterson, it's called Morals and Values.
1: Yeah. Yep. That and that that's for sure. And that's something you can't dictate. You know, you you can't dictate that. We yeah. you know, if I was secretary of ag i can't dictate that somebody has morals and values you know that that's up to each person right but you know what we just just because we can doesn't mean we should right right um
0: i want to go a couple more things here because i know time's important everybody um what what new technology is out there that you're seeing gabe
1: that that's exciting. That maybe we don't know yet. Anything you? Think you can well, talk you? and I, I can't. I'm not at liberty to say much. Yeah. But there's some soil testing techniques and t- technology. I should say that out. That's out there coming quickly. That's just mind blowing. Okay. Another one that's out there, and and I know Rick, you've had some experience with it. But we're gonna see some some products on the market shortly. That have the ability to terminate plant growth, and they're actually biostimulants. They're they're not negative to biology. I think yeah. those are going to be game changing. That's gonna be know, huge. From a human health standpoint, soil health standpoint, everything. Yeah, yeah.
0: that's gonna be huge. Mm-hmm. Um, one more place I want to go here. Um you're kind of a you're kind of a star in a new upcoming movie coming out here. So, uh, tell us about the movie. I mean, t- I mean, it. Kiss the ground was number one. This is the sequel to it, and and
1: take it from there. Well, that's one butt ugly star, first of all. But uh, <laughs> so you know, years ago, it was back in 2014, actually, that they first started filming Kiss the Ground, and they're. You know, they met Ray Archuleta, Ray had him come to my ranch, and then it took actually six plus years for Kiss the Ground to get filmed. Well, after Kiss the Ground came out, one of my clients uh, watched the documentary, and he he called me up and he said, Gabe, do you know that producer? And I said, yeah, what type of guy is he and his wife? And I said, oh, they're good people, their heart's in the right place. He said, make an introduction and so i did so this client of mine met with them and it was 18 months from the day he met with them until the documentary came out at tribeca and rick you're in it you were there Um, what he said is he wanted to fund this documentary because he said kiss the ground was good but he said kiss the ground was a little too politically correct. And he said, we need to call out who and what needs to be called out. And then we gotta have a call to action. So he invited Ray Archuleta and myself to come down to Ojai, California. And, and we gave them some names of individual farmers and ranchers and scientists that we had thought might work well in the, in the documentary. And I specifically asked not to be in it. I said, I really think it's important for us to turn over the reins to the next generation of leaders. And I asked not to be in it. And and he said, OK. And they started filming. And then I got a phone call one day that said, Gabe, there's certain things that need to be said in this documentary that only you have a big enough mouth to say. And so uh, I said, well... It just so happens that we had had a major windstorm event. We had had three days of sustained winds, 50 miles an hour. And I had two to three feet of my neighbor's topsoil now in my pasture. And so they flew up and Rick's seen the documentary, knows the, uh, you know, I'm standing there and I'll give people a little flavor of what's in the documentary. I'm standing there and I'm saying, On one side, uh, on this side, you have a producer who takes government subsidies, who the taxpayer is paying for these practices. On this side, the producer refuses government subsidies. You tell me, is this wise use of taxpayer dollars? Mm -hmm. And I'm saying that. My wife asked me, she said, are we going to get sued over this? And I said, well, maybe, time will tell. But... uh, (laughs) But the beautiful thing is there's a lot of people in the documentary that are going down the regenerative path, such as Rick and Carol and, and, you know, many other producers, scientists, and it holds no punches. It does call out certain facets of the current production model. Uh, honestly, I would like to see a little more, um, in there as to a call to action and what can we do, but they're working on it. Now I have to, just to let people know, it debuted at Tribeca. It's gonna be in 150 theaters starting the 27th of September in some major theaters around the country. I believe Netflix has purchased the rights to it. However, I give uh, the funder credit in that he kept all of the educational rights and any school system that wants to show the documentary will get it free of charge.
0: There so you
1: go. uh, the goal is a minimum of 50 million views in the first year. Oh, nope, 50, five, zero? Five, zero. Yep. Wow. Yeah, that's
0: uh, it's gonna be nuts. Uh, Rick uh, better hold on. He's His phone's
1: gonna be ringing off the hook. Oh boy. <laughs>
0: Yeah, it, uh, I was, uh, I'll tell you what I really like about this, this documentary, Gabe, is it, it explains what the problem is, but it also has a solution. Mm-hmm. Too many times people just stand up and pound on the table and you've got to change, you've got to change. Well, okay, that's fine, but what are we going to do? And this film helps get you down that road of making change.
1: Yeah. And there's some real life human interest stories in there. I mean, Roy Thompson and, you know, young farmer from South Dakota, how he healed himself of Crohn's disease with nutrient dense food. I mean, it's just amazing. Yeah. Yeah. It's great. It's great.
0: Uh, Well, folks, we're about, we're headed to the finish line here with, uh, with the legend, Mr. Gabe Brown. So if you got a last minute question, now is the time. Uh, there is one here. I think it's from Ramona. Is your, Gabe, is your organization challenging the gates and the China farms that are seeking to ruin our agricultural land and crops and livestock I, uh, and literally obliterating our food supply
1: every day, every day. I'll answer it that way every day. Yeah. You know, we're, we're one of the things we pride ourselves on is we'll talk to anyone, anywhere, anytime. And you have to realize that sometimes that means reaching across the aisle, visiting with people you may not normally visit with. But you know yeah. what? Common ground for common good. That's right.
0: That's right. Well, folks, uh, this has been Gabe, thank you so much. I, I've been meaning to get you on here for so long. We had great interaction from the audience tonight. Everybody's thanking you and thanking me. So uh this has been wonderful and folks again this movie common ground is out i strongly urge you to go see it now you know gabe's going to probably agree with me there's going to be some people that aren't going to like this but there's going to be a a lot of people that are really going to like it so uh gabe thank you and um i'm actually going to contact gabe uh probably tomorrow and maybe he and I can show up at one of these showings and, and he and I together can do uh one of these premieres somewhere. So. Yeah.
1: It, uh, it'd be great, Rick. Thanks for having me on. Thanks for all you do. Thanks to yeah. the listeners out there. Um, we're all in this together, you know, yeah. and it it's going to take each and every one of us to move this forward. Yeah.
0: Yeah. And, and I want to say one more thing. Um, there's a part of the movie it's toward the end that just knocked my socks off. And, uh, we find out in the movie that Gabe is, uh, uh, is diagnosed with, um, uh, uh, ALS. Um, yep. so I know this is hard to talk about, but, uh, uh, wow. What, uh, what a shock.
1: Yeah. Well, was to me also, but, uh, you <laughs> know, it's, it, I was diagnosed uh, about 19, 20 months ago, 19 months ago. And uh, I kept it to myself. You know, I didn't even tell my family, which is a sore subject. Shame on me. But I just didn't want to burden anyone. Uh, It came to the point I had to let certain people know. And I felt it was important. I let the funder of this documentary know And unbeknownst to me, he asked, uh, he put it in the documentary and then flew to Bismarck to show me a clip of it and said, Gabe, it's totally up to you if you will allow it to be in there or not. And I just really thought of my life wreck. And I thought what God's given me and he must be telling me, Gabe, this is a way if you can save one person from going down that path, because the thing with ALS is it comes about from toxicity. And the ironic thing was when we filmed Kiss the Ground back in 2014, there's a part in there where I talk about being exposed when I was conventionally farming, I was exposed to all the chemicals. And I said, how could I not be? I was farming conventionally. Well, little did I know that that clip would then Show up, and I, I just decided to allow it into the into the documentary because if I can save one person yeah. from using some of these harmful toxins, then it'll be worth it. Yeah. Well, thank you,
0: thank you so much, and um, we're gonna you and I are gonna get to be better friends. So, uh, thank no doubt
1: about that. Rick and I are gonna go on a fishing trip. Somehow. Yeah,
0: we're gonna <laughs> go somewhere and fish. That's right. Well, yeah. Gabe, thank you. Uh, this has been an honor uh again thank you and and good luck with everything and and we'll we'll talk soon
1: the the pleasure was all mine and rachel thank you for being such a trooper yeah
0: yeah thanks rachel all right good night everyone thank you yeah bye-bye